It's indeed an uh, amazing honor and pleasure to stand before you today to minister the word. Um, as Ricky said, my name is Matthew. Uh, if you don't remember my name by the end of the service, it's okay. I was a member of the church for a whole year, and Helena thought my name was Andrew. <laughs> so, the funny story is I'm part of the media team, and um, Helena would come once. I think I'd been serving for the third time, and she came in the morning, and she was like, Good morning, Andrew. And I said, uh, Helena, my name is Matthew. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Can I give you a hug? I was like, no, no, it's a, don't worry. It's okay. And then I served about two or three more times, and she came in the morning again, and she was like, good morning, Andrew. And I was like, uh, Helena, my name is Matthew. She's like, oh, did I do that again? Oh, can you? I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay, the Bible says forgive 77 times. Seven times. And I, and I forgave her. And then a few weeks later, I was serving again, and she came in the morning, and she said, good morning, Andrew. And then I said, look, I can work with Andrew, okay? My name is Andrew. Matthew, Andrew, they're down the same path. Let's work with Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely blessed to be here this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know my family, I'm married to the most beautiful, consistent, loving, and caring woman in the world. Uh, she's been a pillar of strength over the last 10 years. We just recently celebrated 10 years of marriage in December. Um, her name is Sibu Sisiwe. Some of her friends call her Busi. Some call her Sibu. Uh, some people in the church call her Michelle. And if you don't remember any of those names, just call her Andrew's wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're blessed. Our eldest daughter, Mimi, she's eight. You, you know her name? <laughs> Our eldest daughter, Mimi, she's an atomic bomb of joy. Uh, she's super happy. Uh, she's a little troll in our household. We're so blessed to have her. Uh, we also have a little boy. His name is MK. He's two. He's like the smallest, coolest little dude you'll ever meet. Um, we, he just hasn't figured out that at our house, he's not exactly the decision maker. We'll give him a few more years to learn that out. So we're absolutely blessed with this week of praying and fasting uh, through this sermon, Amazing Grace. And my wife and I had been talking um, as we were celebrating our 10th anniversary, and we looked back at the last decade and a few more years before that, and it was really clear that we could see how God was maneuvering certain circumstances and changing courses in our lives and making sure that we are where we are today. And one of the things that we were praying as a couple was, God, please don't make us numb to your grace. It is very possible to become so used to God coming through for you and answering your prayer and providing for your needs that you become a spiritually spoiled brat, that you lose your gratitude, you lose your thankfulness, you lose your praise because you're just used to God abundantly pouring out his grace in your life. And so as we were talking about his justifying graces, sanctifying graces, enriching graces, inviting grace, one of my prayers was, Lord, this year may you awaken that thankfulness again in my heart. May I just continue to see how good you are. 
May I continue to praise you. May I continue to worship you. May I continue just to be thankful. May I continue just to have that heart of gratitude that says thank you, Lord, for every single prayer that you've answered. And one of the realizations we came to was that God does not only pour out his grace on situations that we are aware of. Sometimes there are situations in our lives that we're not even aware of. And God is actually maneuvering and protecting and providing for us, even in the, in the background. And we have absolutely no idea about it. And we said, Lord, this year, we want to thank you for all those things. And maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Lord, I, I can't list down a number of things where I feel that you've been gracious to me. I can't list down a number of things where I see your unmerited favor. But let me uh, just reassure you, saints, that our God does not sleep and he does not slumber and he is working on your behalf. Somebody say amen. amen. And one of the other things that I, that I said as well to myself, one of the things that I'm imposing upon my own heart this year, I said, I want to change my own language and my own diction. It's very easy for me to say to people, you know, I was so fortunate that they looked at my CV. No, that was the grace of God. You know, it was such a coincidence that when we got there, the doctor was there. It was not a coincidence. It was the grace of God. Well, we were so lucky that they gave the child a place in school. You were not lucky. It was the amazing grace of God. And so I'm being deliberate with myself in saying, Lord, I want to profess your grace in my life. I want to testify of your goodness and want to make sure that I am spiritually aware of all the good things that you do to me. And so this morning, the title of our message is going to be Agents of Grace. And I'll be looking at a portion of scripture in the book of Titus. Uh, Ricky did a wonderful job last week just to introduce us into the whole concept of grace where he did an analogy between what came through Adam and what came through the amazing grace of the cross that was uh, given by Jesus Christ. And today I want to try and build on that from the epistle that was written by Paul to Titus. Um, building from his introduction last week, uh, Titus was a young man, a Gentile convert who Paul had pastored, someone that he felt was a son in the faith, and he left him at a small little island called Crete, and Crete was sort of like a Robben Island, it was really south of Macedonia, not too, not too far away, but really close enough, and he left him there and he said, I'd like you to establish the church. I'd like you to establish some order right there. And he started to write to him and to give him certain instructions on the things that he needed to do to establish the church on this island. And I really loved the picture that he paints on the first couple of, of chapters. He, he says, look, you need to put some order and some structure in the church and you need to appoint deacons and leaders. And you know God loves order and structure, you know, and, and, and he gives those instructions. And then something that really caught my heart, the second bit of that, he starts to talk to Titus about how people in the church should relate. And he says, look, I'd like your... Please encourage the older men to be self-controlled and to be, to be sound in the word and ask them to, to, to relate with the younger men and teach them the ways of the Lord. And same thing with the older ladies. He said, let them be women of God who fear the Lord. May they teach their younger wives to look after their husbands and to be busy in their households. And he, he takes a bit of time to talk about how people in the church should relate. And before I move on to the message, something really tinkled in my heart when I read that portion of scripture. Do you know, saints, that God is really concerned with the way that we relate as believers? God is really concerned with the way we relate as believers. He loves it when the church is supporting each other 
praying for each other, encouraging each other, standing with each other with times of celebration, in times of tears, in times of joy. I dare to say that God is more concerned with the way we relate with each other than he is about how wonderful our coffee is. I mean, God is actually so concerned with the way that we love each other and know each other and pray for each other and intercede for each other more than how great our decorations and our chairs look. Because it is very possible, saints, to be sitting here as an auditorium of strangers. People who have, no, who have absolutely no connection or love or care for each other. I remember a few years ago, I used to work in, in, in the waterfront and um, there's a band called U2 that came into town. You know U2? Ricky and Michelle, let's just pray for them. Father, may they listen to more gospel music. <laughs> you know, so, so U2 was in town. And what they did is they closed literally every single road in Cape Town. We had a hard time driving into work because there were so many people who were coming to see this amazing band. And thousands and thousands of people filled the stadium, all congregated just to watch this band. The band performed for the hour or whatever it is. And immediately after that, those thousands and thousands of people left and they went to their home. That is not God's intention for the church. We're not here to just congregate and watch in an amazing band and immediately afterwards we just go to our homes. We need to do life together. That's why Acts 2.42 says they continued together in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in fellowship and in prayer. And so maybe you're looking at me today and you're like, you know, Matthew, you don't understand. I'm a parent. I've got kids. I've got work got studies. This is all that I can do. I want to say to you today that we're living in a disposition of grace and God's grace is available this year to help you connect more. So somebody today might need to just make a decision and say this year, maybe I'm going to try life group. This year, maybe I'm going to try to serve in one of the service teams. This year, maybe I'll go to the Thursday evening prayer that happens only once a month. This year, maybe I'll come for intercession. Do you know what? God's grace is available to make sure that if you make that commitment, it will come to pass. Because that is the desire that God has for us as believers. Since may we not just become another group of strangers that meet together, listen to a band, have great coffee, and carry on with our lives. And so let's look at our portion of scripture today. It's going to be from Titus chapter 3, uh, from 3 to 5. And I'll read it really slowly because that's the way I like to read the Bible. I like to try and digest it. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. It says we were hateful. We were hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My intention, saints, this morning is not to do a full exegetical analysis of this portion of scripture, but just to point to three things that I felt God was tugging at my heart when I read this portion of scripture. 
And the first one is that it is not because of our righteous deeds that we're justified, but because of his ultimate deed. You know, we live in life and in a natural setting where the more work that you do, the greater your reward. You know, you go to school, you go to university, you apply yourself, you study, you make sure that you do the best in, 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 in applying to the work that you've been given. And at the end of two years or four years or six years, they reward you with a certificate and they say, hey, here's a degree, here's a title, here's a PhD, you're called doctor, so-and-so. And that's the nature of life. Simple things like, you know, you could go to a driving school and they teach you how to drive and you go through the test and you apply yourself. And as soon as you're able to navigate the test, they give you a license and they say, well done, here's a reward you've done well, you're now authorized to drive on the road. And sometimes we bring that natural setting into our understanding of God. But here Paul is writing to Titus and he says, our justification with God, the reason why God accepts us as his children, has nothing to do with what we have done. Absolutely nothing to do with what we have done. Paul actually writes and says, so that I may not boast there's nothing that I have done, nothing that you have done, nothing that we could ever do to make God love us or accept us more. We are merely justified by his amazing grace. And so on, on Monday, we listened to the preaching of the word on the podcast, and the pastor was preaching there, was talking about this unattainable ladder, that when you focus too much on works, what happens is you begin to try and think, look, if I did more, if I, if I went more, if I attended more, God will love me more. It's good to attend and it's good to participate. But just as a, as, as a matter of a basis, we need to understand that the grace of God was poured to us because of nothing that we have done. And the Pharisees actually struggled with this concept. Because they had gone to the right Bible schools, they carried the right scrolls, they had the right seats in the Sanhedrin, they knew where to stand, what to say, when to fast, they knew how to dress properly. And yet for some strange reason, the accounting act says there were these uneducated men who had the abundant grace upon their lives. Everywhere they went, the sick were getting healed, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk. The account actually says sometimes they'd bring people who were lame and these people were just put in their shadows as they were walking by and people would be healed. And the Pharisees couldn't understand why, why, why? These guys have done nothing to deserve the grace that they have. And that is exactly the point. There's nothing we can ever do to justify ourselves before God. It is purely his amazing grace. And it is actually a very liberating thought. Because maybe you may be sitting in here and you, you, you condemn yourself and you say, oh, I wish I could do this more. I wish I had attended. Oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't make that meeting. And you, you condemn yourself since there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because there is nothing we can do in our own strength and in our own power to make God love us more. There's a song we used to sing when we were in children's church. Uh, many, many years ago. Um, and the words of this song are simply that he paid a debt that he did not owe. And I owed a debt I could never pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never, ever, ever Hey, that's the amazing grace of God. So be encouraged today 
in case you feel, do you know what, I'm not right there, I'm not where I need to be because I don't feel I've done enough, you are accepted in the beloved. I work for an international American organization and for you to get membership in this organization, you need to be a CEO, an MD, or a leader of an organization that has a certain number of people. You need to make at least 13 million US dollars per annum and you need to have a track record of having done certain things. So they basically look at your CV and after looking at the CV, they can say, look, you're going to get membership because you've done enough. Let me tell you, there is no CV that you need to fill to have a relationship with God because the work was already done on the cross. You are justified in Christ. All you need to do is to believe in him and accept him as your savior and his grace is abundantly poured out for you. Second thing I want to point out is you read in that portion of scripture he starts off Paul and he says, we used to be. It is not only, grace is not only about saving us from the past, it is also about setting us up for the future. Paul was one of the most transparent people in the Bible who would write about himself. He went ahead and said, look, I used to be the chief of sinners. I used to do this and this and this and this and that. He says, look, we used to be hateful. We used to be this. We used to be enslaved by sin. But grace moves us from one point to another. Grace moves us from one position to another. And so maybe in 2020, you want to go back to God and say, God, give me the grace to be able to testify and say, Lord, I used to be. Now I am. Lord, I used to struggle with this issue. Now I am. Lord, I used to spend so much time around this mountain and do the same thing, and I used to be caught up in this habit. But you know what? Now I can testify that by your grace, I am able to. In fact, Paul writes in that same book in Titus in chapter 2 and verse 4, and he says, it is the grace of God that has appeared to all men that gives us the ability to say no to ungodliness. So there's nothing within our natural being as people that actually gives us the ability to say no to ungodliness. Otherwise, we would not have needed a savior. But it is God's grace and his unmerited favor that actually strengthens us, that gives us resolve to turn away from ungodliness. And so maybe that might actually be your prayer today to say, Lord, may I be able to move away from a position of condemnation. I don't want to be in the wilderness for 40 years and just walking around the wilderness and walking around the wilderness. Lord, I want to enter into your promised land. May you pour out your grace that I may make the transition. I'll end, and this is my last point for today, and is that grace is not just about grace coming to us, but it is about grace moving through us. It says in verse 8 of chapter 3, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those that have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And so God has given us his justification, we're accepted in the beloved, he's given us his sanctification, we are purifying our hearts and purifying our minds daily. We are getting closer and closer with God. We are intimate with him and we are trying to get to know God more. And then God says, what is the purpose of all of that? The purpose is so that that same grace that has been given to us may abound to others. 
Now on New Year's Eve, what happened is I thought it would be very nice for me to take my kids to the waterfront to go and see the fireworks. Mimi is about eight now, MK is about two. So I was like, I think they can handle the crowd. They can handle the crowd, they can handle the noise. We hadn't done this in a long, long time. And so knowing the traffic and how many people would be there, we left Somerset West pretty early. Around 10 p.m. we got into the car and we started driving off to the waterfront. Pretty much by 10.30ish, 10.45, we were at the waterfront. We got good parking. We didn't park in the, you know, right in the waterfront because we didn't want to be stuck in traffic on our way out. So we parked on the outskirts and we, we walked in. It was a wonderful experience to, to have my daughter by my side and my son and we're walking in the crowd and we get to the waterfront. And then we start trying to scope with my sister for a, a place which would be ideal where we can actually stand and get a good view of the, of the fireworks. And so we, we, we start walking around and we start looking for an ideal place. And by 11 o'clock, the place was getting really packed. So we think to ourselves, let's, let's, let's move closer and closer. And then we went to where the amphitheater is. You guys know where the amphitheater is? So we think this is a pretty good spot. And then it started getting really, really crowded. So we thought, let's, let's move a bit further down. And we're now standing between the amphitheater and the main harbor. And it was really cool. Like, we probably have the best seats in the house. We have the best seats in the house. But it was getting really, really crowded. And so I, I took my son in my hand and I was holding him here. And little Mimi was over here. And we were waiting in anticipation for 12 o'clock. And, and as we were waiting there, you know, late comers, like the guys who come late to church, they're the ones who come like, and they're pushing you. You've got a good spot, but they're getting there right, right at the end. And you know, and we're like, okay, we're good. We've got a good spot. But about 15 or 20 minutes before the end, you know, before 12 o'clock, it was so packed. You know, and, and I'm holding my, my son and my daughter, and I'm like, guys, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And everyone, you could sense at that moment that everyone was hopeful, everyone was excited kids were laughing, parents were laughing, everyone was just, everyone couldn't wait for midnight. And then suddenly I started to hear some commotion to my right. You know, at first I, I was like, let me ignore it, it's probably people having fun and so forth. But the commotion became louder and louder. And so I started just looking and I started seeing that the commotion was turning into a little bit of an argument. Because there were so many people I could literally tell what was going on and in the middle of this crowd there was someone who was being accused of pickpocketing or stealing or something of the sort and the lady was shouting and pushing him and accusing him of doing that and this man obviously was refusing for his life you know? the more the two of them argued the more people started to circle around them now worried about the safety of my children I tried to just move a little bit to the left because I'm aware that there might just be a little situation here and I don't want a stampede to start and I'm in the way. And so I'm moving to the left, I'm moving to the left, but there are so many people, it is absolutely difficult to move away. And so this little commotion turns into a little brawl. Within a few minutes, this guy who has been accused is on the ground. And this lady and a few other people who joined the commotion start to beat him up and they start to step on his face and kick him and hit him and kick him. And I can see my daughter who's very confused now because she's never seen mob violence in her life. And so I'm now holding her head and I'm trying to make her face this way so that she doesn't realize what's happening. And this whole crowd, 
What's quite amazing also is there were some people who were standing close to me who had no idea what was happening. Also just come into the crowd and start stepping on him and kicking him on the ground and this guy started bleeding, bleeding through his mouth and bleeding through his ears and I was like, I can't let my daughter watch this. And so one of the security guards from the waterfront, he, he ran through and he tried to stop the violence but he was overpowered because there were just so many people. He had to run back and try and get reinforcements and I pulled my family as people were getting in and kicking hours, moving them further and further away. And then we, we get to this place where I feel like I think we were at a good place and then I'm now looking from a distance. And it was amazing to see how that same crowd that had so much joy, so much expectation, so much hope, in just a moment had switched to being hateful, hating other people, uncaring, violent, ready to kill, begging for blood. And I knew this was going to be a difficult conversation with my daughter and my, fortunately MK's too, he would not have realized what was happening, but at that moment I said, God, this is not right. And at that moment I actually remembered the story of Christ sitting and this, this crowd of people come to him baying for blood with a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they were baying for blood and they said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. The law says that we need to stone her. We want to kill her before your eyes. We want to see her bleed. We want to see her under a pile of stones. We want to see her intestines in the street. We want to see her head crack. They were baying for blood. The grace of God was abundant at that woman, at that moment for that woman. And Jesus answered them and said, He who amongst you who hath no sin, let he be the first to cast a stone. And the Bible says, slowly the people started to disappear from the oldest to the youngest. And finally, this lady who had grace abundantly poured out before her was standing before Jesus. And Jesus said, Where are your accusers? Where are the people who wanted to stone you and kill you and to destroy your life? She said, I don't see them anymore. That is amazing grace. We deserved to be stoned. We deserved like that man in the waterfront to be kicked down. But Jesus said, do you know what? I'm going to pour out my grace on you. And then Jesus looks at her and says, do you know what? Go and sin no more. Grace takes you from one place to another. It doesn't just save you. It doesn't just show mercy on you, but it extracts you and takes you to another place. And so as I was preparing for this week, I was saying to myself, Lord, you know me. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I would never stone someone. You know, I'm nonviolent. I'd never kick someone in the face. You know? Lord, I felt self-righteous. I was like, Lord, you saw me in that situation. I took my children. I took my children away. God said to me, Matthew, you may not be kicking people physically, but it is very possible that in your heart you are kicking people in your heart. It is very possible that right now some of us have people in our hearts that we have not forgiven, people who we have not shown grace, people who we have counted out. I'll never invite that person to church. No. My kids will never go to their place again. I will never employ that type of a person. I don't trust that family. 
they will never be amongst us. I won't join that life group. That is unforgivable. That is unacceptable. That is just not good enough. I'm exiting that WhatsApp group. I'm blocking, deleting. (laughs) And we've kicked people in our hearts. We've stepped on them. We've pushed them down. But the invitation from God today is saying, do you know what? You and I, we were in that exact place. And Jesus came and said to the accuser of the brethren, this is my child who has been justified by what I did on the cross. And he's being sanctified daily. And he says to our hearts today, saints, where is your accuser? There's no accuser anymore. There's no more condemnation for us. And so that same grace that has been poured to us, that abundant, sanctifying, justifying, and reaching grace, may we in 2020 take the opposition and the opportunity to extend that grace to some people. Forgive someone. Give them another chance. Call them. Invite them again. Bring them in the club. Go on that drive with them. Give them that same grace that Jesus has given you. Amen.